Eagles Entertainment. Everything that move, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. Go. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we're giving you what you need for Eagles-Cowboys on Sunday as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 502. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out, where I chat with my buddy Ross Tucker. Three big topics uh, going into Eagles-Cowboys on Sunday. All on the offensive side of the football, we're talking offensive formations, the rhythm pass game, and some quarterback run stuff. Uh, A question from you at home we will get to here in the show. Also, we've got Faux Focus, where Bob Stern from 90 Six seven the ticket down in Dallas. He is a return guest, one of my go-to sources for all things Cowboys. Bob's going to jump on. We're going to talk through some of the changes the Cowboys have seen over the last month or so. Dak Prescott, Michael Parsons, a lot to talk through on both sides of the ball with the Cowboys going into this matchup. And then after that, we've got some extra analysis from our Eagles game plan crew. So Greg Cosell, John Clark, Mike Quick, Ike Reese. We're going to hear from them at the back end of the podcast. As always, before we get started, rate, review, subscribe, leave us your support over on our Apple podcast page or wherever you listen. Appreciate those that have done that. We've got one of your questions over from our Apple podcast page. We're going to answer it right here in three and out. How about this for a start? They got him again. What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, back again for more three and out. My friend Ross Tucker to talk through uh, three big topics going into Eagles Cowboys part two here in the 2023 season. Uh, Ross, I'm going to kick things off here with topic number one. And I was actually really interested to talk to you about this uh, as a former offensive lineman. You know, one of the big stories, obviously, has been the the resurgence resurgence of this Dallas passing game. Uh, the numbers with Dak Prescott, the film, the stats, everything really backs up. They're, they're executing at a really high level right now. And I talked about it with Greg earlier this week. One of the things I've noticed over the last few weeks is the the uptick, huge uptick in the amount of empty formations. And, you know, we've talked about like the benefits and the, uh, you know, and some of the the downfalls of empty sets. But as an offensive lineman, were you pro empty? Were you anti empty? Uh, what? Did, how did you feel? Uh, did you play in offenses that liked to uh, have that as a big part of your arsenal? Yeah, this is a good question. And and there's actually. I, I see a lot more empty, I feel like, yes. um, around the NFL. I see it more in college now. People love empty. And the reason why is, think about it, okay? In empty sets, you have all five eligible receivers are out. So let's say the D-line has four guys. Well, then they're going to have to have somebody covering all five eligible receivers. That's nine. And then there's only two other guys. So what happens is it becomes really easy for the center and the quarterback to be able to identify where pressure might be coming from because they can't really hide it, right? Like if you're, if you're going to bring somebody, well, then somebody else has to be covering them, right? Like you're not going to just leave a guy uncovered. And so it kind of forces the defense to not really be able to disguise. Now, some coordinators like Brian Flores for the Vikings are still able to do a decent job with it. But for the most part, you kind of 
force them to show their hand, I guess I would say. Um, as a center, I did like empty because of that, because it, it was pretty clear who the four or five guys were that we were going to block. And sometimes they would bring six, right? So sometimes sure. against empty, they'll bring six because they know they have one more than you've got. And then they're man to man. They got their five guys covering your five guys, but they're bringing six and they're thinking they're going to, they're going to get to you or they're going to have inside, inside uh, leverage, not let you get easy completion and that you're going to be in trouble forcing completion or a quick completion short of the sticks. So as a center, I liked it because it cleared things up. Um, as a guard or tackle, I did not because there's no threat of the run. Mm. None. Yep. So you can't really jump set. I mean, you can, but if they're running a game or something, you can put yourself or your buddy next to you in a really bad spot. The D-line just pin their ears back, right? Because they don't have to even worry about a draw. I mean, now maybe if you have an athletic quarterback. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, when you have Jalen Hurts, uh, that can change the math a little bit. Yes. If you have an athletic quarterback who's capable of a quarterback draw, that helps you. That helps you. Um, you know, it's so funny, Fran, just as you say that. Um, like, this is how far things get in the NFL more than people realize, right? So, like, there were times where I was in the NFL when it was a pass. But I would walk up to the line and I would like subtly say to the guy next to me, hey, make sure you show a pass. Make sure you show a pass. So that the D lineman would think it was a draw. Yep. And wouldn't really rush. So it was a pass. But but there was the chance of a draw, or maybe even earlier in the game, I heard them call out, like, watch the draw. So then it's like third and eight or something, and you're looking for any little edge you can get. I'd be like, uh, and, you know, you, you try to act like you're saying it quietly, like, yo, make sure show pass, show pass hard. And then the defense is like, it's a draw, it's a draw. Meanwhile, it was a pass the whole time, <laughs> like – it's a, it's a um, very anyway. like Princess Bride, Wallace Shawn, like I know what you know, what I know, what you know, uh, kind of situation. And, and that's definitely the cat and mouse of everything, right? Um, a thousand yeah. percent. So anyway, as a center, you like it because it clears up the picture and forces the defense to declare much harder to disguise. And if they are rushing against you, the guy usually has to go to one gap or the other. It's not like he has a two-way go. Yep. Right. If you're a guard or tackle, one-on-one -on -one pass pro was not my strength, and so I did not like having to be susceptible to that. I can remember, brand 2002 in Washington, I started every preseason game at either right or left guard with Steve Spurrier, and we went empty a lot. Yep. And uh, it just hard to hold up that way. Hard to hold up that way, especially if you're not getting rid of the ball quickly. Right. You know, that you, you got to, the, they're all four, in the NFL, all four guys, or even five, sometimes they would just do five and have, you know, man, what you call man up. Um, they're all good pass rushers. Like none of them are like slugs, like there might be in college. And so it's like 
a one-on-one drill over and over and over again, and you're bound to lose a few of those. And that's the thing is that I feel like early on like empty downs has become popular because you know you might get some of those base defensive linemen on the field, you know, not necessarily like that speed package uh, where it's like, all right, now you got to hold up against three defensive ends and a stud three technique. Now it's like, all right, if, if the nose tackle or the shade is out there and uh, the base defensive end is out there, it's like, okay, like uh, you could hold up a little bit faster, uh, but empty absolutely is, is more prevalent around football right now. Uh, and even for young quarterbacks, because it used to be like, oh, like empty can be a little bit complicated. Uh, you're a little bit you're putting not that it's complicated, but uh, you're putting the guy in harm's way because of those pass rush threats. But you know now, as you mentioned, it kind of simplifies things for the quarterback, and I think that's why Dak Prescott asked for more empty. You know, kind of at that at that midseason break, uh, he had talked about that. Yeah, like let's lean more into this. This is something we did with success over the last few years, and so they've incorporated more of it, and you know it's been very successful for them. We know that empty is a very successful tool in the Eagles' offense as well for a multitude of reasons. I want to ask you too, real quickly before you get to your second point i know we're gone long here on this one but um you know one thing you know that's kind of unique to the eagles offense uh, i shouldn't say unique but it's definitely a, a hallmark of the eagles offense they lean heavily into the two by two sets as opposed to three by one very balanced across the board and if you look at you know that's been you know the the case with shane steichen out in indianapolis previously uh frank reich when he was in indianapolis i think you know nick sirianni nick sirianni obviously coming from that tree um you know when you talk about the the difference between a two by two set where everything is balanced versus a three by one. I think you're thinking about that more as a center as opposed to a, a tackler or a guard. But did you have a preference uh, one way or another? Obviously, you're doing both with over the course of the game. But uh, is that something that went through your mind going into a game? Um, not really. Interesting. No, I, I didn't think about. I think that they're more advanced now about that, Fran, than we were then. Yep. I think. Um, I think a three by one, depending on the protection, it's a little bit easier because it it they there's overloaded to one side and right. yep. they can't bring you know two by two. You theoretically have two guys that can come off each edge, exactly. Right? Three by one, they're not bringing the guy off the one side. They're not bringing a corner. I mean, every once in a while they could, but even yep. if they do, he's not ours. He's yep, not the right. offensive lines. Where if it's two by two, that inside guy might be ours. Might be ours both sides. Like it depends on what the protection is. So two by two, uh, <clears throat> I feel like they could disguise it better, mm. and it created a, a little bit more issues. Whereas three by one, like the one side, you don't have to worry about. Yeah, I guess those favorable looks like in the run game too. Uh, from a two by two, the same benefits that you get from, or the the same drawbacks from a a pass game standpoint, where it's like, all right, they can disguise, they can, you know, they can easily like kind of hide which way pressure is coming from. Well, now in the run game, you can kind of see like, all right, where where are the numbers at? Uh, here from a two by two, if there's balance there, uh, and it kind of works to favor the the run game from that aspect. It's it's fascinating. I want to learn more uh, about the formation variation and the pros and cons of all that stuff. Uh, That said, we've talked a lot about the formations here with my topic. Let's go to topic number two uh, on your side. Yeah, I want to talk about timing and rhythm in the passing game because that's that's been a a major topic for the Eagles this week. Uh, A lot of people have been talking about it. And it is interesting, Fran. I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, Ideally, right, most pass plays, you're timing up the feet of the quarterback 
with the route of the receiver. And when that back foot of the quarterback hits, especially if they're under center, right? That's usually when they're supposed to, by then, know where they want to go with the ball and deliver the ball, right? And when you see that, it really is a beautiful thing, right? Like, I feel like I saw it so often from Brady or even going back to Joe Montana where it's like, one, two, three, ball out. One, two, three, ball out. Um, and it feels like, Fran, that we saw that more from the Eagles last year in that it felt like there was um, more rhythm to the passing game at times. And I guess I'm curious how much of that, you know, you give the credit to the defenses that are trying to take away Hertz's first option. I think the other thing is, you know, you lose sight of how many of those were RPOs, you know, last year, and and maybe the Eagles aren't running as many of those this year. Um, but I know a lot of people have been talking a lot about how it feels like um, Jalen is holding on to the ball a little bit longer in the pocket. And he did that a bunch last year, too. But um, I think it's a little bit more noticeable this year that it doesn't seem like he's getting the ball out on time as often as he did last year. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's what one of the, the tough parts from an, an analytics standpoint when it comes to football, right. Is that sample size can be so tricky because, you know, I think when you're talking about like uh, every pass attempt is obviously not created equal. And you mentioned like you have RPOs, you have screens uh, so, and not all rhythm throws are the same, right? Like there's, there are rhythm fades. There are rhythm slants. There are rhythm digs. Like, you know, if you're incorporating play action, is it three, is it a three-step drop? Is it a five-step drop? Is it five step and a hitch? Like there's all the different, is it, is it a move the pocket kind of play where all the footwork is going to change. And when you're talking about over the scope of scope of one game, you know, I mean, Jalen hurts or, uh, you know, Josh Allen or, you know, insert quarterback here, you know, Kirk cousins, J Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Lamar Jackson. It's how many pure dropbacks where it's, Hey, you know what? There there's no RPO. There's no play action. It's not a screen. It's a, it's it will, we'll even take like the three-step drop. It's a pure, like five-step read it out progression read. Um, I mean, you're only talking about like a handful of those in a game for a lot of those guys. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's not like baseball where, you know, every player has uh, X amount of pitches uh, with, you know, five or five, five at bats uh, in a game over a 180 uh, game schedule. Right. It's a very small sample size of plays. And so even when we go like year to year comparison, um, things can get so wonky. And so uh, it's it's it is really interesting. I do think, obviously, and there are numbers where you can say like, OK, um, you know, they're running less RPO or more RPO. They're running more, less screens now than they did a year ago. Uh, and I think that part of that is like, okay, like we have to change offensively, right? Like no matter who the coordinator is, uh, if Shane Steichen is back in Philadelphia uh, in 2023, they're not going to run everything back exactly the same that they did a year ago. You're always going to try and tweak uh, whether it's, you know, catering to personnel or just guys evolving and trying to get, you know, put more on players plates. Yeah, I mean, especially like coming off this week. I mean, you know, clearly, and we talked about it with Greg earlier this week. Like Jalen did not play particularly well uh, in this game against the 49ers. And I think overall, you look at it and you say, okay, like how is he in terms of like the rhythm throws and reading out defenses? And I could pick plays from every single game. You know, I know again, this has become part of the discourse, and uh, I'm not even going to dive into some of the ridiculous things that have been said in the, in the, in the <laughs> national media uh, in the last couple of days. But um, 
you know, I think when you look at uh, his ability to read defenses and get through and, you know, make progression reads, deepen the progression reads, even go back to like they're playing the Cowboys this week. Some of his best throws like of Jalen's career, reading defenses, making making reads post snap, uh, reading through a disguise and getting the ball where it needed to go for explosive plays on third down. Like that's big time quarterbacking play. Uh, I know I'm going to off on a tangent. That is not exactly what you uh, what, what you uh, what you presented, but um, the, the rhythm throws. I think it's a it's a very like nuanced conversation. And again, I think sample size kind of comes into play a little bit. Yeah, and I also think, you know, he he has a uniquely gifted offensive line that enables him to hold the ball at times for three, yep. four, five seconds, which other guys don't have. And he's made a bunch of big plays off of that. Yep. So it's kind of hard to say, like, hey, don't do that when some of the biggest plays this season have been when he does exactly that. We can't like sit and praise the the touchdown to Olamide Zacchaeus against Buffalo that takes the lead in the fourth quarter, right? Where he's holding on to the ball, he rolls to his left. By the way, like that was the right read. He should not have thrown that ball to Devontae Smith to the right on that play to, uh, on third down against the Buffalo Bills in the fourth quarter. It's likely an interception. Rolls to his left, buys time, buys time, buys time. He's pointing downfield and he hits OZ in the back of the end zone for a touchdown and the Eagles take the lead. Like, uh, you know, those plays are tough to live off of. Like, you're not going to have sustained success on those plays. You want a quarterback that can make those plays. The Chiefs are finding that with Patrick Mahomes the other night. I mean, you know, Mahomes didn't play particularly well against Green Bay on Sunday Night Football either. And again, it's like it's just tough to live in that way uh, over the course of a of a 17 game schedule. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting topic for sure, and certainly something that's topical given this week. What else we got? All right, last one. Uh, you're gonna love this one uh, for a multitude of reasons. So this one, uh, this one came on Apple Podcasts um, from Leland Pereira, uh, who lived with, with the title "Draw, Trap, or Counter." So here's the comment here um, from Leland over on our Apple Podcast page. As always, leave your questions there, and we will answer it here on the podcast. Hey, friend, I'm an Eagles fan living in Nairobi, Nairobi, Kenya, and I absolutely love the podcast. I listen to every episode uh, for X's and O's discussion. In that vein. I've been hearing everybody, including you and your All-22 review, say that the game-winning touchdown and other QB-inclusive run game is a draw play. Since Kelsey pulls, and last week against the Chiefs, so this was last last week, uh, against the Chiefs in both Kelsey and Mylotta pool, I wanted to understand, are these QB runs, are they really draws, or are they some form of traps or counters? Really appreciate everything you do. Thank you for always, or thank you as always for the uh, the best couple of hours listening for my week. So Leland, really appreciate the kind words. Love the question. Love that you're listening in in Kenya, uh, Ross. I know you love whenever you're able to interact with international listeners as well. Um, obviously, all of these runs are a little bit different, right? And there's always going to be little nuances here. Uh, the the touchdown against the Kansas City Chiefs uh, that gave them the lead in the fourth quarter. Um, that was to me like was QB draw all the way, but it's not a straight QB draw where all right everybody's pass 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 and then release vertical. You're going to have that little adjustment with Kelsey kicking out, uh, you know, as as a lead guy uh, in the hole. But what are your thoughts there on the on the QB runs? Yeah, so first of all, amazing, amazing that we're answering a question from an Eagles fan in Nairobi, Kenya. Yes, outstanding. Just so so cool, and uh, Africa is one of the Eagles international territories yes, it is. i remember during the preseason games our games were on in the entire continent of africa yes and i remember thinking like is anybody really watching this and i said that during the game and we started getting all kinds of tweets 
at Ross Tucker NFL and whatever we told him to say or whatever hashtag all over the continent of Africa. It it's was awesome. unbelievable. I mean, I'm just a kid from Reading, Pennsylvania, and there's people in Africa watching uh, the Eagles as I'm calling the game. Really, really cool. So Leland, love that you had the question. So um, let's get to what he said about the traps or the counters. Yes. Okay. Because a trap, um, Leland, is typically an inside run where you leave a down lineman unblocked. Okay. So, man, this goes even all the way back to my high school days, but yep. you can either leave the first guy to that side, and usually it is the first guy to that side, the first down lineman to the play side. You leave him unblocked, and then you have somebody pulling from the backside, typically a guard, but there are some tackle traps out there. So, in other words, you have everybody on the play side, the right side, if you can visualize it, the center, the right guard, the right tackle, they are all blocking their inside gap with the exception of that first or second down lineman, and then the trapping player comes across and the D lineman usually doesn't know what they hit, what hit him until it's too late. And the guy traps, and the running back goes right off the the butt of the trap block up inside. Um, that is not what the Eagles are doing on these runs by Jalen Hurts for these touchdowns, these quarterback draws. They're not leaving somebody unblocked at the point of attack. It's not a trap. A counter is similar. In that uh, it's just kind of usually wider and the backfield action is different. So a trap, you're not really trying to fool them with where the ball's going. It's a quick hitting play where you leave one down lineman unblocked. You you have a quick trap block of him by a pulling lineman and you hit up there quickly. A counter play is different because there is some backfield action that tries to give uh, some level of deception about where the ball's going, usually the footwork of the running back and or quarterback, but definitely the running back. And then in in a counter, the puller is going to end up kicking out the end man on the line of scrimmage. So a counter is essentially a wider trap, if that makes sense, with different backfield footwork. So you're still going to leave somebody unblocked to the point of attack, but it's typically going to be the end man on the line. And so center, let's just, let's play it's a 28 trap. You're going to the right, okay? Center, right guard, right tackle, tight end, right? If there's a tight end, they all have their inside gap. They're leaving that end man unblocked and the backside pulling guard or tackle, that's who you kick out. So it's a wider trap with different backfield action that slows the back down a little bit, tries to get the linebackers to take one step or hesitate the other way because here come the down blocks and the double teams from the play side. Again, not what the Eagles are doing. The Eagles are doing, I I would call those more what we used to call uh, either G scheme or man blocking schemes where they could zone it up if they want but they're choosing 
to try to have the tight end and Landon Dickerson pin the down lineman and have Kelsey and Mylotta pull around for their play side backer. Or in the case, I think, of the uh, the Bills one, it might have been just Kelsey that pulled. And it's kind of a better way to... It's a better way to have the center block the point of attack if you have a, a lineman as athletic as Kelsey because he doesn't have to hold the block as long. It's going to tie him up where right when he's about to engage the linebacker, the running back should be right there. It doesn't have to be as long of a block. And also you get really good angles by Dickerson or whoever is trying to pin the the D tackle. So it's kind of a pin pull concept. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, the Eagles over the course of uh, the last couple of years, they've run a lot of this. You know, they, they've been really good with the QB counter runs with, uh, you know, especially with Jordan Mylotta and Landon Dickerson coming across. Uh, but we've seen Lane Johnson as well coming from the other side on some of these QB counters. So we'll, they, we've seen QB counter. We've seen the QB draw with this adjustment that Ross just explained. Um, you know, we've... I. I'm pretty sure the Eagles have run like at least one QB trap uh, over the over the years where they have like blocked the three technique and it was like a delay. I know I've seen it in the NFL and I want to say it was the Eagles, but I could be wrong on that. But either way, um, there's so much variety with the QB run game. Uh, I would say this year it's been mostly the QB draw. That has been the the primary uh, run there for the Eagles, the, the, the designed run for Jalen Hurts uh, over the course of this season. But um, great question from Leland. Thanks again uh, to them. Thanks for le- leaving that over on our Apple podcast page. And as always, anybody out there, you leave a question on that Apple page, we will uh, leave it or we will answer it here on an upcoming episode. Ross, this was uh, a little bit longer than normal appreciate the extra time with us and we'll talk to you next week yeah it was so fun i love it thanks fran what's this matchup look like from the other side it's time to find out in full focus All right. Well, like I said earlier in the show, really excited to welcome back a return guest here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Bob Sturm. You could follow him on Twitter at Sports Sturm or follow his work over at 96.7 The Ticket. Bob, one of my go-to sources for all things Cowboys. Bob, welcome back to the show. It's awesome to be here once again. All right, well, let's get into this. Uh, obviously, a lot has changed, really. I mean, it was only five weeks ago that these two teams last met, and I said it with Greg Cosell earlier in the week, but when I watched this, this Cowboys pass game early on in the season, I thought, you know, this is a disjointed group, guys not on the same page, and it was about a week or so before the Eagles game, I want to say week seven, week eight, things started to turn positively, and now over the last like three, four weeks, they are operating at a very high clip. So I'm going to ask you, put on your Brian Schottenheimer hat, you're the offensive coordinator, what's the biggest strength for the Cowboys offense going into this game against the Eagles in week 14? Well, I think they've done a really good job at kind of reimagining their passing game. And and this is post-Kellen Moore, but it's also post-Week 5 in San Francisco. Mm. And since then, they've done a number of things. If you said pick one that's super important, it would be just the idea that you can't throw the ball to C.D. Lamb too much. Yeah, And then you can build the architecture of the passing game around that. He opens up so many things. But it really starts with uh, the old Bobby Petrinoism of feed your studs. Uh, if you if you have these guys, you can't go to them too often. Uh, from there, friend, of course, you can look at a number of different things. They've really amped up uh, motion and shifting pre-snap. Yep. They've really amped up uh, the ability for Dak to play out a shotgun instead of under center. They've yep. really amped up the design pass plays as opposed to trying to pound the ball on the ground. And maybe it all just simply goes back to the fact 
that they got their offensive line back together. When they started the season, Terrence Steele was at the very early stages. He was rushing back, probably contract-related, uh, from an ACL last December. Tyron Smith was still a bit of a health mess. Even Zach Martin had some time. And so like when they lost that inexplicable game in Arizona, if you dig a little deeper, not to excuse it because uh, there's no excuse for it, but I believe they were down three starters that day and they were moving around one or two others. I think Terrence Steele was the only player in his spot that day in Arizona. So if you say, okay, in the first month versus the last two months, what's the major difference? They've had their offensive line back and it's sort of opened up or unlocked uh, several levels of this Cowboys offense that that we had not seen. And that's the thing is that I remember, you know, going back through the film of that week nine game, you know, Tyron Smith looked, I, I wouldn't say like vintage Tyron Smith, but he, he looked pretty damn good at left tackle. Zach yeah. Martin, uh, as good as you would expect. And Tyler Smith has really come on. Uh, I mean, he, he looked good last year as a rookie, but the battle between him and Jalen Carter was just so much fun to watch. Uh, it was like, you know, it, it was, it was really a lot of fun to go back and watch that the next day. So uh, with those three guys, I mean, that this offensive line operating at a high clip. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and of course, uh, you know, one of the big matchups and and, and uh, not to uh, in any way jump ahead on the agenda, but obviously that spot at right tackle remains a a, a, a area of great concern because, uh, you know, a matchup with Hassan Reddick is, is, is going to control a big portion of what they can do offensively. But the ability to put the offense in Dak Prescott's hands and to allow him to leave the pocket, to allow him to sight adjust and to do a lot of things that he wants to do. It it finally kind of looks like he's running this offense. His personality is such, and, and I think Jalen might be this guy as well, but they seem so team focused and so compliant and so easy, easily coachable that the idea that they would ever pound their fist, uh, you know, slam the table and say, this is how the offense needs to be, guys. You guys aren't giving me enough help or enough control or whatever. It, it felt out of character. But I do think if we've seen anything in year eight and maybe losing Kellen Moore as his OC, who was a close personal friend and sort of uh, trying something new and, uh, and and maybe more under the control of Mike McCarthy, I think we've seen Dak grab the steering wheel and it's been for the better. Where do you think he has made the biggest strides? Uh, obviously, I mean, he's the pre-snap phase, I feel like, has always been kind of a strength for him, yeah. of his over the last few years. Uh, where do you think his his game has really taken the next step, even over the last month or so? Well, I, I think uh, the ability to play on time has really helped him. And I know that's a constant for so many quarterbacks uh, that when your back foot hits the top of your drop, uh, you, you, you are decisive and, and you get it out. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, because the second phase of each play for him has been very profitable, but I, you know, it's just, I suppose the idea of, we don't want to lean into anything too much. We don't want to lean into just offense off structure, but also not just offense freelancing out of structure. So, so I just think his ability to sort of maestro this thing and to be comfortable in his own skin and to let it rip. I know these are a lot of cliche sounding things, but when you see it, it's pretty clear that he uh, he he has this clear mind about him, and and I always look back at Mike McCarthy, and I know McCarthy's a guy who who does not get a ton of uh, complimentary press. I, I I always say he doesn't market himself like Sean Payton always has, and and therefore uh, you know I think he becomes a punchline. But I'll tell you, 
following McCarthy's career closely, friend, I think we saw the very, very best of Aaron Brooks, the very, very best of late-stage Brett Favre, who before he arrived, and it was Mike Sherman, Favre looked like he needed to retire. And McCarthy brought him back to MVP level in 2007. He lost to Tom Brady, but when you throw 50 touchdowns and your team is 16-0, and 0, you're probably going to win the MVP. And then we, you know, we saw the best years of Aaron Rodgers. So the fact that we are seeing the best of Dak Prescott under Mike McCarthy, to me, is sort of par for the Mike McCarthy course. He's great with quarterbacks, and it's just never been really marketed to the uh, national media, I don't think. All right, well, let's go over to the other side of the football. You're going to put on your Dan Quinn hat here. The biggest strength on defense. Uh, this feels like a no-brainer, but what gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, the ability to put pressure on a quarterback uh, is absolutely uh, something that is the Cowboys' calling card, but I do think the Eagles do a pretty good job of understanding um, that they can't let the Cowboys' front dictate things, and, and that part of that is having a good offensive line. We know that, but part of it is just the offensive architecture of the way the Eagles do things, which uh, when it's going well, it's a very quick moving offense that uh, uses a lot of misdirection and a lot of deception to keep a defense a little bit tentative. And and over the course of time, if you can get those cowboy edges tentative and not necessarily a zone read or or a a a, a motion, a, a you know, a cross tight end uh, type motion to make your make your edge pause for just a second. But I think Sirianni and the Eagles have always been very good at doing that. And, and so if you can neutralize, whether it's DeMarcus Ware years ago or DeMarcus Lawrence and Michael Parsons now, um, I just I just think the Eagles have always been pretty good at doing that sort of thing. So behind it, clearly coming off the Seahawks game, and I know you didn't ask me uh, for, for the, the, the terrifying part, but, but I would just counter with once you saw DK Metcalf, who sort of has an A.J. Brown-type body and, and, and maybe a lesser version of A.J. Brown's game, but once you saw Metcalf feed on uh, on Duran Bland like he did and so many opportunities down the field, I'm positive uh, the Eagles will be looking to try to take advantage of the fact that the Cowboys refuse to get out of their man coverage at, at almost every turn. They love playing man. They love the challenge. They love what it allows their pass rush to do. But, uh, but I do think Geno Smith has them questioning whether that is the best road in a uh, non-Trayvon Diggs personnel situation. That's why I did want to ask you that as my follow-up. is How do you envision their game plan being uh, here on Sunday going up against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith? Uh, what do you think they're going to do on the back end? Well, you know, the Seahawks definitely laid out a blueprint, but that is not an easy blueprint to follow. I think Geno Smith played his best game of his season. Um, I thought his his passes were on time and on target, which is so tough, tough to do in Dallas on this fast track against this pass rush. So I don't know how he did it, but he got the ball out. He did not allow more than one sack, and I think the sack was even a zero-yard sack. Uh, yeah, I think he, of, yeah, I think it was zero, and the, the other one was the DJ Dallas. That was the, uh, the yeah, trick play. Yep, That's right. Tons of pressure, tons of pressure, but no sacks. So Gino did this great idea of holding the ball long enough to take advantage of the man coverage but not too long. And then when the passes were there, he hit on them all. And, you know, honestly, through three quarters, you kind of shrugged and said, are we playing a team in a in the zone right now that there's just, you know, it didn't feel like the Cowboys were, were busting badly 
on a lot of plays. It felt like the Seahawks were executing near perfect uh, measures. And then Dallas kind of turned it up a little bit in the late stages and got some stops, but uh, full, full marks to that Seahawks offense. And, but honestly, you look at man for man Eagles versus uh, Seahawks. Uh, you would say, okay, AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, and, and whoever the third is, and they have two nice options there. Obviously not having uh, the tight end quite squared away is, is, is not ideal, uh, especially the way he kills Dallas. But, uh, but I, I assume, um, you know, that offensive coaching staff in Philadelphia is going to be saying, okay, here's what we need to do to isolate against this corner and to take advantage of these big plays down the field, because it's very difficult to drive the ball against the Cowboys right now. Well, you teased it earlier. I'm going to ask you now to put on your Mike McCarthy hat. What's your biggest concern? What's keeping you up at night going into this matchup? There's no doubt it's uh, Terrence Steele against Hassan Reddick. And and I know the Eagles have other pass rushers, but he is, in my opinion, the far and away the most explosive, the, the one who can beat you out of your stance, the one who can cause false starts, the one who has two-way goes at times that can, can uh, you know, damage you inside. I, I, I feel like if this is possible, he's one of the most underrated players in the league at, at this uh, marquee position of edge rusher. And the fact that he has double-digit sack seasons in different uniforms, like three years in a row, and and uh, he's doing another you know unbelievable year with the Eagles. Um, I, I I realize there's a lot to like about the Eagles roster, but I, I just I can't get enough about the way Hassan Reddick made Terrence Steele look like a practice squad guy, uh, and then. Now you got to do it again, but on a fast track where Reddick can get out of his stance. And, and uh, you know, I think the over-under on Terrence Steele false starts on Sunday night has to be like two. I mean, I, I really think that's a, a problem of concern. I imagine the Cowboys will try to scheme some help, but uh, they, as we saw on that, on that game in Philadelphia, they're reluctant to give help because uh, it compromises uh, the way they want to do things. I, you know, and I, I think you would speak to this as well. Looking at that Cowboys film of that sun of that Sunday afternoon, I guess it was, it was a three twenty-five in Philadelphia. I was surprised how much meat was left on the bone by the Cowboys passing offense. There were opportunities where he was going to CD Lamb, where Jalen Tolbert's wide open, or where Jake Ferguson's wide open. And and I do think I do expect the Cowboys to try to, yes, feed the studs, but also take advantage of the fact that the Eagles secondary depth is problematic and the further you go down that depth chart or that those matchups if you go like five across there are some real opportunities for mike mccarthy and his offense uh if they if they want to pretty much allow cd lamb to just occupy maybe a man and a half there should be stuff to a guy who like jake ferguson who's absolutely breaking out this year yeah, I think there are certainly some plays, and Dak played well uh, in that game back in Week Nine. But uh, going back through the film, I mean, I think back to like that fourth down play, Bradbury right. breaking up the pass to Tolbert. Uh, I think it was Ferguson right in the middle of the field that it yep. was open. Uh, there were certainly opportunities there late in that game uh, for them to try and capitalize on. Uh, certainly, Reddick and Terrence Steele, a matchup to watch. What's the most pivotal matchup on Sunday in your mind? Is it that one, or is there another one that comes to mind as well? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly that one. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is is obviously trying to figure out, uh, you know, the best way to deal with Jalen Hurts. And and right now, um, there there is question of how healthy he is. There is question of of, of where his legs are at uh, relative to the, what the Eagles want to do offensively. Uh, obviously, there's a couple weeks now of of 
you know, different defenses taking different approaches. And I know the 49ers and Cowboys approach is wildly different in terms of coverage, but uh, there may be some some uh, ways to attempt to make him a little more one dimensional. And I think, you know, that's whether it's too high or, or however it's done, it's it, not necessarily what Dan Quinn wants to do. So, so what I would be interested in there, Fran, is defensively, do the Cowboys mimic what they're seeing on tape of the Eagles last couple games, or do they lean into, well, this is what we do and we do this well, and we're going to play single high no matter what. And we're going to play man. And we're, you know, so it's, it's that weird deal. Like, do you trust, do you play to your opponent's weaknesses, your perceived weaknesses, or do you play to your own strengths of this is our identity? And I think Dan Quinn usually picks the latter. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. I mean, back in week nine, second half, I thought Jalen was on fire. Some of the mm-hmm. best throws he's made all season from the pocket uh, came in that game. Uh, need a repeat of a performance against a team that is really humming on both sides of the football. Bob, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Everybody, be sure to go follow Bob on Twitter at SportsTerm. Get more Cowboys analysis from him over on that platform, among others. Bob, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Loved it. Thank you. Great stuff there from Bob. Thanks to him uh, for some great stuff there from the Cowboys on both sides of the football. I teased earlier, we're going to hear from our Eagles game plan crew. So John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. This is all stuff that just due to it being a 30-minute show, couldn't quite squeeze it in for Eagles game plan. But I kept all of this great analysis right here for you on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Let's get to that right now. So that's what would concern me, G, is how do we match up down there? You know, you mentioned this 20 personnel three wide receivers, uh, or even sometimes having Jake Ferguson in there, but also having two backs. From a defensive standpoint, you know, what are we looking at? Regular defense? Are we looking at a nickel defense? I think that's where some of the issues could come at for the Eagles defensively is how we match up against Dallas down there in the red zone. Yeah, well, normally what, what the Eagles have done since they've gotten Kevin Byard is Byard has been the tight end matchup when they play man. But the issue for the Eagles, Ike, and this has been a real problem, not only in the red zone, but it's been a problem in recent weeks, is they've really struggled on third down. And you've got to get pressure on Dak Prescott. You've got to speed him up. Because when you speed him up, he tends to rush himself, and that's where he loses his clarity in the pocket and at times his accuracy. We've seen that through the years. But he's been a very comfortable player behind an offensive line playing at a really high level. And if you cannot pressure him, and this is where the issue is for the Eagles in recent weeks, then it's going to be a tough go. And we saw in the first game, C.D. Lamb went off against the Eagles, 191 yards, 10-plus catches. And we've heard the Eagles talk about the communication in the secondary, especially in that game against the Niners with the motion. What do they need to improve upon so that they can try to slow down some of these Cowboys receivers? We got to get settled in at that slot defensive back position. I yeah. think in that first game, we were still trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Bradley Roby was still injured. Uh, Coach Desai had to, you know, rotate some guys in there. Sometimes you got Eli Ricks. I think I even remember Sidney Brown having to cover in the slot there. So I think we're a little more stable from a personnel standpoint of what we want to do. Now it's just about coming up with a good game plan and trusting that game plan. CeeDee Lamb's a great wide receiver. He's going to get his numbers to a certain degree, but you have to make him work for it. Sure. And if you can force Dak to go somewhere else with the football, then now maybe you create a little bit of frustration over there. So I think you just can't have the easy pitch and catch throws that allows a quarterback and a receiver to gain confidence like a CeeDee Lamb. 
John, but one of the things they do so well with Lamb, they move him around the formation yeah. to try and make sure that they get the matchups that they want. And so I watched that Seattle game, and you have CD matched up on a linebacker sometimes because of the way they move him around. They're going to win in those situations, and that's what they want to create. And when you look at the Eagles' defensive line, as they go, the Eagles' defense goes. No question. And they were humbled in the game against the 49ers. Do you think you're going to see a big reaction, especially from the defensive line, getting after the quarterback here? Well, it's not going to get any easier. You know, Dallas Cowboys' offensive line, not as good as its, its reputation used to be in years past, yep. but they are still a formidable offensive line over there. And so from a defensive lineman standpoint, we have to do a better job, I think, in the interior part of the line. You know, Tyler Smith's one of the best guards in all of football, but we have two good young players in Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, along with the Wiley Vet and Fletcher Cox. That's why I think we can start to make some hay at in the interior part of this offensive line, because the one thing you want Dak to do is sort of get him off his spot. Don't allow him to step up in the middle of this offense and be able to throw the ball down the field. Let's see if we can get him to get out of the pocket and make him a little more uncomfortable. In that week nine matchup, the guys knew that Dak likes to escape in the middle, in the B gap. And they made sure that for the most part, that was locked up and they were able to get pressure on the outside. They just need a little more of that. Yeah, and you look at this Cowboys defense, you know, they they are like, what's the trend? in the NFL right now with these sub-package defenses. You want to yeah. get athletic guys out there because everybody's so worried about being able to defend the pass. And you're going up against this Eagles offense, that would be one of the things I'd be first worried about as well is how do I defend the passing offense of this Eagles team. So to Mike's point, you want to run the football, I believe, because you get some of these light sub-packages out there when you get six and seven DBs. This is a great opportunity for this Eagles offensive line to be physical, get downhill, and get some positive yardage on first and second down, which I think will play well for our play-action pass. And when you're on the road in a game that's going to be as frenzy as this one is going to be, running the football is the best way to take the crowd out of the game. And so to get in those situations, have long drives where it could be demoralizing against the defense, I think this is a great opportunity because of what Dallas loves to do from a defensive personnel standpoint. We can take advantage of that with our run game early. And get them thinking in the run game. You know, get these plays where you're going side down the sideline and you get them going one way and you hit it north and south right away. Um, Get them thinking a lot. And also having the fact that Jalen Hurts is now healthy enough to run, that's a big factor in the run game against this team. So they're not so quick to trigger right away to where the ball is going because they're worried about it coming back the other way. Having him healthy and his ability to run really impacts the run game. And starting off against the 49ers, when you kick field goals instead of touchdowns in the red zone, Dallas Goddard hopefully returning in this game. How much will that help, especially the red zone, and open up this offense a little more? I think it's a a big factor. I I think Jalen Hurts likes to throw to Dallas Goddard. We didn't see the screen game so much with him not in the lineup. The screen game is one of their best weapons on offense, and now you can throw out that screen game once again because Dallas Goddard and all the things that he does. And you mentioned field goals last week, not converting those to touchdowns down in the red zone. Well, this is also where Dallas Goddard is an advantage for you. Not only in the passing game, we know he's a big target down there, particularly when they go in the RPO yep. and teams are worried about Jalen running. 
but he's our best perimeter blocker. So you get him on the edge of this offensive line and you're able to run the football. I think that also helps you down in the red zone because it keeps you in a down and distance that's manageable and it keeps the defense guessing. And that's when we're at our best. You mentioned Jalen being able to run the football as well. When we get to second and five, third and four, now a defense doesn't know what to prepare for and you have multiple options. So having big number 88 back a part of this offense, that's just another problem that the defense has to account for, not only in the passing game, but also in the running game. And the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award nominee for the Eagles, Lane Johnson. We saw the job he did against Nick Bosa. How much do you look forward to these matchups against Micah Parsons and that Cowboys front? Well, I know Lane looks forward to these matchups. You know, he's the best tackle in all of football, and I didn't make a mistake by uh, specifying right tackle. He's arguably the best tackle oh. in all of football. That's just how good Lane Johnson is. And he looks forward to these types of matchups, whether it's Demarcus Lawrence or it's Michael Parsons. I know he'll be ready to go. And you just look forward to these. This is the best. that you know, Football doesn't get any better than this in the regular season. So when you're a player, this is what you look forward to. This is what you get all psyched up about. This is what it's all about. These heavy matchups. And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Saturday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live here in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. As always, thanks to them and thanks to all of you for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our X's and O's content here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.